everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bible Ask Live, where we answer your Bible questions live here on our weekly show. My name's Tina with my friends Jane and Wendy. Hi, guys. How you doing? Hello. Hello. We're great. How about you? I'm good. It's been a while. So I've missed I you guys, and I've missed all our viewers out there. So this is exciting tonight to get back into it and see some really great questions that have come in. And so we just want to welcome you. If this is your first time viewing us, we want to welcome you. And if you're a returning viewer, we want to thank you for, for joining us again. And we are always blessed to be able to chat with you guys and um, interact. And so we just pray that tonight is a blessing to you as we go through these questions that have been submitted. So uh, if you have questions that you'd like featured on our show, please be sure to go to our website, bibleask.org forward slash live. And that's where you can submit a question. And like I said, we had quite a few come in. And so we're really excited. I don't know about you guys, but I was really, really blessed by uh, the things I saw coming in. So uh, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and pray and then we'll jump into some of these questions. So Jay or Wendy, you want to pray for us? Sure. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your love, for your word to us, for your promises to us, and for your provision for us, especially as we go into Sabbath. We want to thank you, especially for the Sabbath day that you give us every week to spend time with you and to be able to rest from all of our work and everything, all the stressors of life, and just know that you've got us, that you've, this is a time you blessed for us to spend with you. And um, we just thank you so much for that. And as we go through this evening and answer these questions, we pray for your continued wisdom and guidance upon us that it, and that you would guide us in sharing your message and your love with our viewers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Wendy. All right. What is our first question? Let's go ahead and get that first question up. So John is asking, hello, I would like to ask how 2 Kings 17.1 and 15.30 can be reconciled while still holding to an Assyrian captivity of 723-722 BC and without saying that this is a scribal error in the Hebrew text. So John, thank you. This is a very good question. And there's a lot of questions like this, right, that tend to come up where, especially at times when you try to reconcile, for example, the books of the Kings with the books of Chronicles or things like that, where you might have multiple accounts or the Gospels, you have multiple accounts. But here, actually, it seems like they're, you know, on the face, let's say, is there an inconsistency within even the books of Kings between Kings chapter 15, verse 30 and Kings chapter 17, verse 1. So let's take a quick look at these, starting with 2 Kings 15, verse 30. And it says, Then Hoshea, the son of Elah, led a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Remaliah, and struck and killed him. So he reigned in his place in the 20th year of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. And so here talking about Hoshea, and he's starting the 20th year of Jotham. But then if we jump to 2 Kings 17, verse 1, it says, In the 20th year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, the son of Eliah, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned nine years. So the question is, which is right? Or is there a mistake here where in verse, sorry, in chapter 15, it says that Hoshea took or started his reign in the 20th year of Jotham, 
But then later in chapter 17, it says Jotham started his reign. Sorry, Hosea started his reign in the 12th year of Ahaz. So what's going on here? <clears throat> Seems inconsistent. Uh, you could, how could you have both of those? Uh, what th this is something scholars have tried to make sense of. This sort of thing, again, is kind of common. And it's not something that we rush to say, oh, there is a mistake here. Uh, what happens is when we really dig deeper and we look into these things, we realize that there's actually a lot of historical context that we might be missing. And then when we have that, it suddenly makes a lot of sense. And in this context, what there appears to ha be, have been going on was this was a time of lot of political turmoil. And it was almost very analogous to kind of what we have now where, you know, is this person really the ruler or did this person really become the ruler? Who's the ruler? And this is in fact called a, a co-regency time where it's believed that you have Jotham who was king, he was a good king and he reigned for at least 16 years indisputably, but we have his son Ahaz co coming along and Ahaz is not a good king. He's considered, he's listed as uh, one of the wicked evil kings, or at least one who did not do good. And there seems to be a little bit of angst or irks towards him in the Bible. And the Bible is trying to tell us that um, Ahaz may have come about almost like through a coup. Like he may have dethroned his dad or they were sort of co-reigning for a while. So we have this possibility where both were reigning together, both kind of are sharing a throne, sharing power. And, and then ultimately Ahaz kind of gets deposed. But you have the authors of the Book of Kings kind of wanting to give a, um, their, the more favorite king, Joham, Jotham, a bit more credit because he's a good king. They want to give him more credit for sitting on the throne. It's kind of like the modern day of um, equivalent almost of saying, well, this person's not my ruler. Um, this person really was the one who should have been king. Uh, so again, I think kind of relevant with what we see going on with world events today. And uh, here this was applicable to what was going on with them. And, and more background on why uh, the son Ahaz was a bad king. He was during this time wanting to cozy up with and become friends with Tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria, who later went and just totally pillaged and, and, and decimated and, and removed the, the 10 tribes of Israel, leaving only the kingdom of Judah left. And we could read about this relationship between the two of them, between Ahaz and Tiglath Pileser in 2 Kings chapter 16, starting at verse 7, where it says, so Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come, oh, and notice that, your son. <laughs> it's almost like maybe saying, like, I'm not even wanting to associate with my dad, who was the prior king. He says, uh, come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who rise up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold that he found in the house of the Lord. So he took God's money and in the treasuries of the king's house. And he sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. And thus, this is sort of how he starts his reign and why a lot of the Jews historically then would not like Ahaz and want to give more credit to 
uh, his dad being on the throne longer and having more of the limit legitimate reign for a period of time when they might have been struggling for power. So hope that answers your question. It's a real good question. And thank you again, John, for asking that. Gina, anything to add? No, I think that was really good. I mean, I, I think it's so it's so fascinating how there's so many stories in the Bible that are just like all these tidbits and pieces and you when it comes together, it's just uh, something really cool like that. So I just love the tapestry of the Bible. Yes. All right. Shall we welcome some viewers? Yeah. Go for it. So happy Sabbath to Robert. Great to have you back. Yes, it has yeah, been a while right. since we've been here. But we are glad to be back. We had some travel and, uh, yeah, just life, <laughs> life, life things. But we are happy. We are glad to be back and have questions to answer. And uh, welcome to Olivia and to Francine as well. Great to have welcome, you all welcome. here. All right. Shall we get our next question? Should we do the one here from Robert? Or uh, do you want some time to prep for that? Before? I, I just think we have answered that in uh, prior prior sessions before where we talked about loyalty and faithfulness and I, I could be wrong Tina does it ring a bell or, or and let us know Rob if, if, if we're wrong but I, I think we have covered that a couple times um, what I would love to know Robert if you could share why does it matter to you where you're what is the struggle going on and and where do you think it's going to lead like this big uh-huh because I'm sure there's something there and I'd love to get into your mind and know like, why are you probing into these things and wanting to uh, really master the, the differences and the nuances here? Love to know that. All right, so we'll wait for that response. And in the meantime, we will get another, get our next question up. Let's pull that up. So Nicholas is asking, do people suffer after a deathbed conversion? You know, Nicholas, this is a really interesting question. It's something I've never really thought about. Um, so I do appreciate this because this is a new aspect. I think, you know, when we're talking about people who die on, you know, they're on their deathbed and they um, give, their, give their heart to God before they die. And, you know, would they suffer? Like in a spiritual sense, I would say absolutely not. Um, if they, you know, they die, you know, they're not going to suffer for their sins. Like there's no purgatory or anything like that that they would suffer in. Um, however, if you're asking if their physical body suffers after they've given their heart to Christ between their conversion and when they actually die, you know, those moments or hours, however long it is, um, you know, that's a good question. I, I, I couldn't say yes or no, but I would say, you know, the best um, basically deathbed conversion story in the Bible is that of the thief on the cross that you read about in Luke chapter 23. And so you know, it doesn't say that um, whether or not he, you know, physically had a ton of pain um, before he died, but I'm sure he did suffer to some extent. Um, again, like I said, in Luke 23, um, in verses uh, 39 through 43 is where we'll just kind of look at the story. It says, then one of the criminals, so basically Jesus was dying on the cross and on his left side, there was a, a criminal on his right side, another criminal. So Jesus died among, you know, thieves, basically. And one of the criminals on his side said, if you're the Christ, save yourself and us, almost mocking him, like saying like, oh, if you're really who you say you are, people say you are, like, why don't you, you know, do this for me? And 
verse 40 says, but the other answering rebuked him saying, do not even, do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly for, um, receive the due reward of our deeds. So he's saying like, we deserve to be here. He says, but this man, Jesus did nothing wrong. And then he says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus gave him confirmation today is the day of salvation for you. You can know today that you are saved. And so it's just a beautiful um, story that, yes, this man knew that day that he would be saved. Now, we do know that, you know, later on, um, basically that, you know, they were going to break the legs of all the the people on the cross, because they need these people to die <laughs> before the Sabbath. I mean, sorry, I shouldn't laugh. That's not funny. Um, it's just, I, it, it's, it's sad. And so um, the thief on the cross was, you know, probably one of them. They, they probably broke his leg so he couldn't push himself anymore to breathe. And, and that's how he died. It was probably a, you know, a physically painful death. However, could God have done a miracle for him? And I do believe it's very possible. And I have heard of people, and I've had a family member that uh, appeared to have a deathbed conversion experience as well. And I could see that although, you know, they were very, very ill, they were dying of cancer, um, they appeared to have a peace that they didn't have before. And I can only explain that through, you know, John uh, 5, 14, 15, you know, when we pray for miracles to happen, for people to relieve suffering, um, you know, for God to intervene, it always has to be prayed in accordance to God's will. And I know you might think like, well, God, why would you will for anybody to suffer? And I can't, you know, fully understand why other than we live in a sinful world. And, you know, we just, there are terrible things that do happen, but God can intervene um, if he knows what's best. And, it, you know, like it says in 1 John 5, 14, 15, and, 14 and 15, that, you know, we have this confidence that, you know, if um, we have in him, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears it, that whatsoever we ask, we know we have the petitions we've asked of him. So it's very possible that he could have had relief of suffering, even, you know, miraculously, even though, um, you know, like this thief who died on the cross and gave his heart to Christ before he died. And, you know, if nothing else, um, I do believe if you have given your heart to Christ on your deathbed, you will have a peace that you would never experienced before. And Isaiah 26, three promises us that, that God will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And so if you've given your heart to Christ, you know, on your deathbed, then if nothing else, you would die peacefully knowing you're saved, knowing you're going into eternity, you know, in God's merciful hands and that your salvation is sure. So, um, could there be some physical suffering after your conversion on the deathbed? It's very possible. However, the mental anguish would be relieved because you would know for a fact that you are saved that very day. And that's a peace and a blessing that no one can take away from you. And it's really invaluable as well. So I hope that answers your question. I don't know, Jay or Wendy, you have any other thoughts on that one? Nope. I think that really sums it up well. Thank you. God is good. Yep. So um, we got some more uh, more insights from Robert, what he's interested in and where he's wanting to go with this. Uh, so maybe we should start back to his original question. Okay, so the question is, what's the difference between faithfulness and loyalty? I spoke to a person who claimed they were two different things. What are your guys' thoughts? 
so then so then um robert's giving us uh, more of his thinking process and thought process where he's going with it and again this is interesting and i appreciate you giving us some more background here robert so he says like the the reason is that i want to be able to articulate my points whenever i speak to people they don't know true love they always say that they prefer loyalty over love because love is just an emotion and loyalty is just a character trait i had people with a worldly philosophy who try to separate loyalty faith love and respect from each other and i want to understand each to articulate it to others and to bring them to christ and he said that the question that we answered mm -hmm. last time was about the difference between loyalty love and respect oh. uh, i think that's right <laughs> okay so difference between loyalty and faithfulness now so loyalty i think a good example of that that people often think of right is the dog and and it and what you've been saying here i think is generally correct so like the the dog is going to be loyal he's always going to be at your side he's always on your team that's kind of what loyalty is they sort of have a very strong sense of allegiance to a person or or a side uh, but faithfulness usually involves someone who is making a promise and then they they fulfill that promise they live up to that promise you know example like david and and jonathan had these oaths that they swore to to each other and people always talk about the relationship because of how faithful they were to one another to their relationships to their oaths to to love each other to to take care of each other um do things for each other under you know tough circumstances so uh that's where there's this difference between them so yeah a dog is capable capable of being loyal uh it's it's a noble trait is a good thing but faithfulness usually involves a, a a greater level of 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 or involves more you because you're making promises and you're having to keep them so for us god wants us to be faithful he wants us to promise that we'll love him that we'll keep his commandments and then uh, he works with us to help us be faithful to help us keep his commandments and not just be on his side so faithfulness is kind of like an advanced or a level up from loyalty. I suppose that's one way to, it's possible there might be some spectrum where, yeah, loyalty is on one end of it and faithfulness is on another part of it. You can't really have faithfulness without loyalty, right? I don't know. I mean, I suppose you could have, in theory, people who are enemies, but you could enter a treaty and you could still be faithful to the treaty well, that's true yeah yeah okay that's interesting yeah, that's kind of a tricky one like mm. i mean defining terms like that you know faithfulness and loyalty because yeah like um i mean yeah in a sense it's like you can't really be faithful unless you're loyal but it's i mean i guess faithful is just more like keeping a promise whereas mm -hmm. loyal is almost like a sense of duty, like, but it's, to me, loyalty seems a little bit more inward rather than faithful, faithfulness, which is more outward, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it all depends because faithfulness yeah. could be a reflection of something inward. Like in the case of yeah. David and Jonathan, we're told Very that true. they loved one another and that mm -hmm. was what, um, helped manifest their oath to one of another in their faithfulness. Yeah. That's so, true. That is so, true. So I appreciate Robert how you're saying these things are connected and they get bundled together. Mm -hmm. Uh and, and and these are all traits that go with love. 
Yeah, they are components of love for mm -hmm. sure. I would say faithfulness also has a has more of a spiritual component to it than what loyalty does. Just by nature of it being faithfulness, <laughs> it's it, it's really a. Um, I see it as something that has to has to be aligned to really like God's um, kind of God's call on the situation or God, like it, to me, it has a, it has a greater godly significance to it than what loyalty alone has. And, and yeah, and by the way, Robert, you, you said that some people want to say that love is just an, an emotion and, I hope we make clear in Bible last and when we always talk about love, that it's way beyond an emotion. Love is, uh, especially the, the biblical love, when we talk about this agape love, it is a complete state of being mm -hmm. where you are putting the interests of others first ahead of you. So like loyalty, you know, you are putting a cause or a person before your own interests. Um, in fact, as a, a lawyer, I would litigate a lot of cases against directors and officers of corporations for breaching their duty of loyalty and the basis for it would often be that they were putting their own interests they were caring for themselves more than they were caring about the corporation of which they were an officer or director of so uh, i think that gets to very much a, the, to the heart of what love is about again which is it's this putting the interests of others before yourself, being willing to sacrifice for them. And, and that was ultimately manifested by Christ, right? Where he gave up everything, his statue, status in heaven, his life, all these things because of his love for us. And it wasn't just because he had an emotion towards us. Right. That's powerful. That's, that's deep. All right, shall we get the next question up? So Doyle is asking, how many children two years of age and under were murdered when Herod ordered the slaughter in an attempt to eliminate Jesus? Hey, Doyle, so great question. And let's take a quick look at the verse here. And this is about all that we have in the Bible on this more or less. I mean, there's a prophecy. I'm not going to read the prophecy, but this comes from Matthew chapter two, verse 16. And it says, then, <coughs> sorry, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men. So wise men were supposed to come back to Herod and tell him where they found the, the Messiah. He was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all the districts from two years old and under, and actually it should be Bethlehem and all its districts. And that's important here. So not just, it's not all the districts of Judah, but just Bethlehem and all its districts. And the verse continues, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. This is often referred to as the massacre of the innocents. And as you can tell from the verse here, it doesn't give us any sense of numbers. And... My first thought was, well, let's check out what Flavius Josephus had to say on this. He was the Jewish historian from around this time period, or it came just a little bit after that. And it turns out he wrote nothing about it. He didn't think this was a big event, anything worth mentioning. Uh, 
so we look at other Christian traditions and it's all over the place. There's some that say 14,000 kids were killed. Some said 144,000 kids were slain. But scholars who have really gone back and tried to do the math have counted and said there's probably was around 300-ish people in Bethlehem at the time. So the number of kids that would have been killed in this area would probably be more of like somewhere around 10 to 20 kids, which this is actually kind of shocking to me because like most of us, I think we are brought up with the understanding that it was just this huge massacre and thousands and thousands of kids are wiped out. But historically, it probably may have been a very small number. And it's not to say it wasn't a terrible thing, uh, wasn't heartbreaking, it didn't fulfill prophecy. No, it did. The pro there, this was prophesized. It did happen. We're just not given the scale of it. And the scale probably is much smaller than what most of us have been led to believe over time, interestingly. So uh, I, I do think those huge numbers that are passed down by the Christian traditions, probably very questionable, not grounded in historical fact, and probably more driven by a weird application of prophecy or a desire to really hype up the story. Uh, so this is something very, it'd be interesting to see what happens over the years as more archaeology takes place, and maybe we'll discover something that gives us more specifics. But yeah, right now it's anybody's guess. So thank you for asking. Tina, anything for you? No, I, I, yeah, I've wondered that as well because I've heard different things, and um, yeah, it's kind of like you see any Bible movies going up. It's kind of like this massive thing, and so you know the images might very well be much greater than what actually occurred. I guess like it's paralleled so much to also like what happened to Moses, like you know during his lifetime when Pharaoh was going to wipe out all the you know, two-year-olds and under in Egypt, which I think was probably, it's, I would assume, you know, on a grander scale as well. But um, again, we don't know. Like, yeah, it's just one of those things. We're just not sure. Mm -hmm. But the fact that, but in a way too, it's like, it's one of those things that it's like one is too many. <laughs> like that should never have mm -hmm. happened. And so whether it's one or a thousand, either way, it's it should never have happened. So. Um, Still yeah. tragedy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So Robert had another quick question here. Um, thank you. I hope you don't mind if I ask another. So I'm already convinced that love is more than a feeling. What would be the love between a man and a woman? Isn't that love only emotions or is that agape love as well? It is definitely not only emotions. <laughs> emotions are, are a significant, important part in a healthy marriage, but marriage is so much more the love in marriage is so much more than just emotions yeah and and this is where what the greeks do is really interesting where they have like five different types of love you know the agape phileo um uh eros and then like a couple others like philadelphia is that one oh no i said phileo um so they have these different types of loves and they describe different things. So yeah, there's that brotherly love, you know, that, hey, everybody, let's lock arms and just, you know, have a good time together. Um, there's one where it's more like the love of like a parent to a child. And then the Eros love, that's the more passionate love that, you know, lovers might feel between each other. And, you know, I, I believe that's a component that God wants there to be between a husband and wife. Mm -hmm. 
Like it should be there. You know, God doesn't want you to stop dating your wife. God wants, you know, the husband and wife to keep dating, keep in keep that flame going. In fact, in Revelation and God's letters to the the seven churches, I think the first church God says is, you know, remember your first love. And I think that's a good application even for us as individuals. Um, and then we see we have the verse right, husbands love your wives, you know, as Christ loves the church. In that verse, I believe it is agape that's used. So that's the self-sacrificing love. So God or Paul is writing there. And I think this is what Ephesians five. Paul is saying, you know, just as Christ is self-sacrificing and putting the church's interest before his own husbands, you need to love your wife that same way. And he's not saying don't don't have eros love, don't have these other things, but he's saying like first and foremost, you need to always have that component in a marriage. Oh, Tina, anything you would like to add? Oh, I mean, I think definitely, I mean, I, I definitely agree with what you guys are saying, you know, having myself been married over seven years now, um, I've definitely seen, you know, all aspects of love, you know, arise in our marriage. And I love my husband, you know, more every single day, but yeah, like there's definitely time where it's different types of love that I, you know, that are inside of me and that definitely manifests in different ways. So yeah, like I definitely think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's for sure. Agape has to be a core part of that love though, for sure. Cause it has to be, you know, self-sacrificing. It has to be mm -hmm. God's love where you're more interested in their well-being, you know, and, and caring and loving them. So yeah. And that, and that means even when your own needs aren't being met, even when, you know, your emotions aren't feeling very loving at that moment because of whatever situation is going on, because emotions fluctuate through all kinds of situations all through life. So there and all through the day. So there's plenty of times when it, when the emotion of love isn't being experienced, but the other forms of love need still need to be not just experienced, but expressed as well. Mm -hmm. So we, I right. see we have another question that came in. Yes. And I love this question. Okay. So this one's from <laughs> gospel of John. It says Satan seemingly has a counterfeit for Bible truths. Will he have a counterfeit for the second coming? That's an awesome question. Tina, did anything you go uh, for it. mind? Okay. <laughs> you're, you're, you're exactly right. Gospel of John, Satan definitely has a truth or a counterfeit or multiple counterfeits for almost every truth. And the Bible, in fact, warns us of this. We see in Matthew 24, 24. So Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, for example. Actually, let, let's back up uh, and look at uh, verse 23, actually. It says, then if any man say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. So Jesus is saying, there's people going to claim to be Jesus coming. So watch out for second comings. <laughs> and then it goes on in verse 24, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and they shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive even the very elect. And this is, in fact, I believe one of the most serious 
threats that face uh, the world leading up in towards the end of time. Satan is going to greatly deceive people. And, and we have this warning in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, that, and no marvel, says, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So Satan, I mean, he himself is an angel of light. So he has a, tremendous abilities to do things that look like magic and defy, defy of science, to do amazing illusions and signs of wonders. And, you know, with his demons, there's nothing that could stop them from, for example, faking raising the dead or faking um, some other thing. And and honestly, like we, we see in the news now more and more and more and more frequently uh, UFOs. How hard would it be for Satan to uh, construct or have someone construct a UFO, pretend to make himself look like an amazing higher alien species and land on our planet and then come out and say hey guys uh i'm the new cosmic christ we've been watching you and we're here now as promised to take care of you and that will be a great false uh second coming because it will look like he's coming in the clouds coming down out of the clouds kind of a, a twist of the prophecy but we don't have to be ever faked and confused on this because Jesus is clear that his feet will actually never touch the ground when he comes to gather us. And Paul Paul talks about that, I think, in First or Second Thessalonians, where when the dead are raised, the, the dead in Christ are raised, and then those who are alive, they will be taken up into the air to be with Jesus. And that is our most important guide of how we can know what is actually going to be the true second coming. So we're going to see, especially going into the end days, things that are going to just rack our faith. Like we, who knows what Satan has in store. And this is where even the elect could potentially be fooled if it wasn't for them being grounded in gospel truth, tied into the Holy Spirit, and, and, and having the wool removed from their eyes so that they could see clearly. Clearly. Dana, anything you would like to add? No, I, I think that's really spot on. I, you know, definitely Satan, he can do all sorts of things. And, you know, the book of Revelation talks about, you know, how basically there's going to be, you know, these unclean beasts or these unclean frogs, and they're going to call down fire from heaven and all these things are going to happen. There's mm -hmm. definitely going to be a false, um, you know, a fake, you know, something second coming and i've even heard people saying you know like because uh, it, it's going to be the antichrist saying like i'm the christ and they're going to be you know all on tv it's like oh look every eye shall see me because every eye has a tv mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of twists and turns that you know this can really take and satan might have multiple who who even knows like how what you know he has up his sleeves because there's just a lot of you know ridiculous things out there and so we just really like jay said we need to be grounded in the word of god and you know, the Bible says, watch and pray, you know, you know, watch the signs of the mm -hmm. time, compare what is happening to scripture and make sure you're connected to Christ, not just, you know, trying to be filled with all these, you know, things out there that are like conspiracy theories or all these things Like, don't worry about all that stuff. Just worry about God's word and, you know, focusing on, on your walk with Christ and knowing that you are sound and your salvation is secure. Mm -hmm. Yep. Amen. Amen. All right. Do we have another question? 
All right. So Lou is asking, my mother has never been sober and has been absent. She wants to move in. Now she's currently in jail and wants me to give her money. The Bible says, honor your mother and father. What should I do? Well, my friend Lou, unfortunately, you are not the only person that's ever dealt with this. I've had many friends who've shared, um, you know, their stories of their parents who've, you know, done similar things. And so, you know, it, it's definitely a very difficult situation to be in. And I feel for you, you know, my friend, because that, that's really hard when, you know, the Bible calls you to honor your mother and father, but when they don't behave in a way that is honorable, you know, how do you go about um, addressing that situation. And so, you know, the Bible has a lot of different, um, pieces of wisdom and that's really where, you know, this is going to have to be God through the Holy spirit speaking to your heart and your mind to give you that divine wisdom, because it is going to be hard to navigate the situation. Um, you know, if your mother is, you know, asking for money and basically, um, if they're in jail, what I mean, I'm assuming I don't know for sure the whole situation, but I would um, some of the things you're describing are very similar to that of somebody who has an addiction. And so I don't know if you know, you said that they've always they've never been sober. So I don't know why they're in jail at this point. I don't know if that's an addiction other than alcoholism that could be drugs, you know, or that could be them doing something to get the money to feed you know, alcohol or other type of addiction. And so regardless though, um, it doesn't honor your mother or your father to enable them to continue in sin and continue in things that harm them. Um, what does honor them is for you to behave in a way that is honorable and for you to um, live a life that, you know, glorifies God and for you to be respectful of them and not, you know, talking evil of them and spreading, you know, things around of them. I know you're being very discreet. You're not giving their names or anything like that. So uh, I think you're, you know, you're going, you're, you're behaving appropriately in this aspect, but it's definitely something very tricky. And so, um, you know, God gave us, first of all, I want to give you this promise just because it's a, it was a blessing to me because I've had, you know, some things in my experience um, that have not always been perfect. And so in the book of Psalms, chapter 27 in verse 10, it says, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. And so God promises to you that he will be your father. And um, God wants us to know that he is ultimately, you know, the, the one who knows what's best for each person on this earth, because we are all his children. And so your mom, your dad, everybody in your family, they are God's children as much as you are. And so, you know, God wants to see them saved. He wants to see you saved, but he also God understands that you have a life to live um, and your walk to, to, to go down. And that may or may not include, you know, enabling your, you know, or supporting your parents, especially when they're behaving in a way that's not, um, that's not healthy. And so I can't help but think of, you know, second Corinthians chapter, I believe this is um, chapter six. Um, and in verse, you know, 14, this is a very common verse talking about, you know, 
relationships. And most people apply this to like a romantic relationship, which is, you know, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness. And so, um, you know, it goes on to say in verse 17, you'll come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch that which is unclean and I will receive you. And so there's a time where God calls us to separate from people, even among our family members. And it may be that you need to have distance between you and your mother while they are going through this time where they are, you know, simply not behaving in a way that is correct. You know, you can't, you know, give them money, especially not to your detriment or your family's detriment, because to allow them to continue in a lifestyle that is hurting them, that's not honoring them, that's not helping them. And so there might be, it might be a time for you that you need to separate from them. And that really is hard because I'm sure you love them. Um, but at the same time, they're an adult and they need to be taking responsibility for their actions. And God does say, you know, when you come away from, you know, separate in that way, God promises again in second Corinthians six eighteen, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters says the Lord almighty. So as much as I'm sure you would love to somehow fill that hole that I'm sure has always been there um, between the relationship of you and your mom. You know, if you think like, oh, now my mom will give me love if I, you know, give her things she's asking for, like a place to stay and money and all these things, that's really not going to repair that relationship. It's actually just going to make it more toxic. And so in a sense, I would say that if you know, I don't know everything in this situation, but if it was me based on that, I would probably, um, you know, decide to, you know, have a separation between them and have very strong boundaries, not saying you have to cut them off completely hundred percent, never talk to them again, but just putting up a very strong boundary of like, Hey, I will not allow things in my home. I will not allow you to come live in my home. If you're going to bring things that are bad into it, like drugs and alcohol, like that, you just can't allow that. That's not good for you. And if you have a family or children, that's absolutely not okay. You can't harm, you can't put your family and yourself in harm's way um, just because if they try to, you know, throw a Bible verse at you or try to make a guilt trip on you about, oh, the Bible says to honor your mother and your father, you know, you are not honoring them by enabling them is the first point I just want to make. And second, you know, when it comes to, like I said, you know, God's, is the one who is going to inevitably be the one to help your mom the most. And there needs to be, and so you just know that, you know, you're not responsible for your mother's salvation. She is responsible for her own salvation and her own right doing. And you can read that really clearly in the book of Ezekiel chapter 18, um, you know, verses, you know, 19 and 20 basically talk about, you know, why should, you know, people think, oh, why should not the son bear the guilt of the father or you know, the parent? And it says, because the son has done what is lawful and right and has kept my statutes and observed, he shall surely live. And so God's saying, you know, if, if you are acting very different from your parents, you know, and you're doing what's right and they're doing what's wrong, you're not held responsible for any of their sins. It's not your fault. And God is going to judge you guys separately. And, um, you know, and going down to verse 23, you know, does that mean that God wants to punish them? No, God wants to save them. And in verse 23, like I said, it says, do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? Does God want, you know, your parents to be lost? No, he says, not that he, not that he would, 
you know, be lost, but he should turn from his ways and live. So it is God's will for your, your mom to, you know, turn away from this life of addiction or whatever it is, um, you know, other sins in her life that are causing her you know, to be in jail, to not be sober. Um, it's just, you know, it, it's definitely something that's, that's tricky because as much as you want to help them, um, you have to ask God for his wisdom to know what is really helping them or not. And um, just one chapter I really want to give you um, just to kind of close on this thought is, you know, the book of Ephesians chapter four, I really feel like this has a lot of good wisdom as far as, you know, understanding what, um, you know, where to draw lines, where boundaries are. And um, it talks about, you know, um, in verse in Ephesians chapter four, verse 15, it says, but speaking the truth in love and basically just asking God to give you that wisdom to speak the truth to your mom in a loving way, you know, that, you know, I love you, but the truth is you can't continue in this. I cannot support you, um, you know, living a life of addiction and crime. I won't support that. And I won't allow that into my house as much as you love them and, and you want to see good for them. You can't, um, the truth of the matter is, is, is these things are not acceptable and they are the ones that need to own up to their, you know, responsibilities. And it, like it talks about later in this, um, this chapter, like in verse 28, let him who stole steal no more, um, you know, talking about putting away sin. It's a time for them that they need to learn that it, they, this is serious. They need to put away sin. They need to put away these evil things in their lives and get their life together because it is their salvation on the line. And it is your job to be, um, loving and kind and forgiving, but while still maintaining solid boundaries and not accepting, um, toxic and selfish and evil behavior from them. And so, um, you know, I just claim for you, you know, that God will give you wisdom. Like it says in first Timothy five, um, excuse me, I think it's first Timothy. I forgive me, uh, five, eight. Yes. That says, you know, that God will give you wisdom and so just keep asking God every day, what do I do in this situation? What do I do for this, my mom? Um, because I'm sure this is very difficult for you. And it's going to be something that, that will, you know, it, it's basically your cross to bear and it, it's not easy, but you know, God is with you and God loves you. And so, yeah, just, um, one last thing, um, oh, excuse me, first Timothy five, eight is more, um, that, Sorry, I got that's confused. James 1 5 is where God uh, tells us, or the Bible says, to ask God for wisdom because He will give it to you. And, you know, just, you know, as far as knowing that you are being biblical um, and not, you know, you know, giving money or enabling, um, you know, your mom in this regard, you know, to keep feeding into her addiction is first John five, eight that says, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Basically saying like, you can't just say, Oh, the Bible says, you know, honor my mother, father, I'm just going to keep giving money to my mom's addiction. And, you know, I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to, you know, have my kids go hungry or that's not biblical. That's not in accordance to God's will. That doesn't uphold his commandment of honoring your father and mother that doesn't honor your mother in any way. And any, if anything that dishonors your mother for you to, again, you know, feed that addiction. So I hope that that, um, you know, gives you some guidance and wisdom and, you know, it's not an easy situation and I pray for you. And, um, you know, I just pray that God will, 
see you through every step of the way. So I don't know, Jay or Wendy, anything else on this? Uh, did you want to go, Wendy, first? You can go first and then I'll try. Okay. I, I just want to say, like, those were amazing points that you made. Like, this was an extremely difficult question and there's so many people that would give answers that i think would just make me shudder and i agreed with like everything you said and um and like you had that one point that was really good i mean one point one of many points that was really good like for example that you know we need to depend on god in these situations and don't feel like we're the one that has to be the savior like that that was such a great point and this idea too of I think it's important to understand that the Ten Commandments aren't the totality of the law. They're there to help us understand what God's law is trying to get us to do. And what mm-hmm. is God's law? God's law is trying to get us to love each other. Like we've been talking about agape love today today quite a bit and every day because it's all about agape love and, and you know, putting the interests of others first. And normally, how do you do that with your parents? You honor them, you respect them, you 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 know lift them up and and this by doing that we have a stable society and and we're recognizing the the great responsibility that parents have they have huge responsibility and we owe back to them then the respect and honor that that then they get for carrying that weight and that burden um and and you know just like for church leaders but when a person is irresponsible not acting like a parent and and the they're not naturally not going to be necessarily deserving of that honor. And I'm not saying don't honor them, right? But they have, they have in a sense forfeited a lot of those rights. Um, and, and it's sad. It's very sad. But ultimately, we're not called to honor. God really wants us to love. And the bigger question is, how can I best love my parent? And as Tina showed, you know, sometimes that is involving some firmness and helping them to grasp the consequences of what they're doing and the the damage they're doing and try to go deeper, work in their heart with God to to help them turn around. Like that's the best thing that any of us could ever do for a parent. Yeah. Everything that's been said here, I'm fully in, in agreement on. And I, I wanted to add a couple of things to, um, first off, the concept of parentification is uh, of children is a is something to look into to understand that better and to know that like parentification is not a good thing <laughs> when a parent parentifies a child and makes them become the parent um that's not following god's order of things mm-hmm. so understanding that concept being familiar with it is and, and knowing and being able to recognize that and hold boundaries against that is um, yeah you're already breaking god's right right it is key so children are not responsible for what their parents do or don't do um as tina mentioned boundaries is super key now when it comes to how do you love somebody who has addiction issues who has these kinds of problems going on where the behavior that's coming from them is is completely inappropriate. This is where I think it becomes very important to really look at uh, understanding the spirit behind these behaviors. A... In, in understanding identity, a person's true identity, 
and differentiating their true identity from the identity that is coming out from these spirits that are not truly of them and that are not of God. Every single person is created in the image of God, created in the character of God, but and, and of the spirit of God. But life circumstances often allow other spirits to come in and to affect a person. And that inappropriate behavior that's coming out is not of the spirit of God. And you can love the elements. You can love the, the person that is their true identity while still holding a boundary against all of those behaviors, all of those actions that are coming from a spirit that is not of God, that is that has gotten a stronghold on them. And praying for that stronghold to be released, praying mm -hmm. for them to have the, um, the discernment around that and the recognition of that, differentiating their true identity from this identity that is consuming them but is not of them is very key in helping somebody in these kinds of situations being able to love them and honor them you can love and honor their true identity but still hold strong boundaries against that which is not their true identity it is it's part of them it's coming out of them but it's not of god in them so I hope that's helpful in um, navigating that that delicate line and and yeah having those those strong boundaries there and being able to pray through these these spiritual battles that they are dealing with because ultimately this you know she needs help that is that really deals with the underlying issues that deals with the early childhood unresolved things that are going on and that that have given the enemy a foothold with her and you know part of honoring her could be helping her to get that help if she's willing to but it can also be setting a boundary against um, anything that is uh, that is detrimental to you into your, you know, your well-being. So I hope that's helpful also uh, for navigating this topic. And not professional advice, always seek advice of an expert. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and there are some amazing groups that exist to help um, family members of those with addiction issues. There are, um, there are coaches that specialize in this so finding finding those communities uh, can be very helpful, um, especially also if you know if the parent has some kind of like a personality disorder or mental illness of some sort, some sort, uh, which often can be you know I'm not saying it is in this case, but often can be a component of it. There are a lot of groups that help support people who have family members in that, and so that can be a good. Uh, route to find to you know to help provide that accountability and and additional guidance. So we have a question. Uh, shall I bring up the next questions? question but, here? Yeah, I like okay. I, I like these questions. 
Okay, so question here from Robert says, I know that sin is the transgression of God's law. When everyone eats dirty meat, which commandment are they breaking? Do you want me to do that one? or? Yeah, go ahead. I mean, so as far as like unclean meats go, um, you know, that that um, law was, or God gave us advice on that, you know, before um, even the Ten Commandments were written down. Um, not to say that God's law is not eternal because God's law existed from the beginning. Uh, we know that from the story of Cain and Abel that, you know, God said, you know, if you're angry with your brother, sin lies at the door. And so, you know, murder was definitely a breaking of God's commandments. However, when it comes to, you know, eating unclean meats, eating something that's not good for your body, I think it goes back to, um, you know, the, the commandment, thou shalt not kill, that you are not putting something in your body that hurts yourself. And like I said, you know, God told us, you know, in the story of Noah back in Genesis chapter, is it seven, I believe? Um, Verse, is it verse four? Basically where God says, you know, of the clean animals, you're going to bring seven into the ark and of the unclean only two. And so God obviously did that so that people would have these clean animals as a food source. And so, you know, God's, you know, people knew, God's people knew since, you know, very early on, you know, what meat was okay to eat and what meat was not okay to eat. And, you know, if God's telling us, you know, even then, you know, that they should just have a discernment between clean and unclean, um, it's simply because God cares for you and wants you to care for your body, which is a, a, the temple of the Holy Spirit. So again, it goes, um, one aspect of, you know, the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not kill. Don't put stuff in your body that hurts yourself, that is going to eventually kill you. You know, I mean, any doctor will tell you that eating a bunch of, you know, bacon is not really good for your cholesterol. It, it's not a healthy thing. I'm not a doctor. I'm not giving you medical advice, but I'm just letting you know, like, it, it's not a good thing for your body. It's not the best choice. And God wants what's best for you. Um, but also, in a sense, it goes back to worship. It's, you know, who will you obey when God says, you know, don't eat this because I'm asking you not to. It's literally just saying, you know, I I will have no other gods before me. I will put God above my appetite. I'll put God above what I want. And so, I mean, and Jesus says, you know, if you've broken one commandment, you've broken all of them in a sense. And I'm sure there's some aspect, you know, in, to, to every commandment when we're, you know, being unfaithful in our how we treat our bodies. There's that know. word, unfaithful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I mean, that would kind of be more my response to that because, you know, a lot of people say like, well, I can eat whatever I want. God doesn't care. That's, you know, you're being legalistic. And I'm, and it's not about, you know, do's and don'ts. It's more about, you know, your relationship with God and just respecting what he says and knowing that trusting God, that if he gave you a piece of advice, if he gave you instruction in this regard, it's because God has his best interest for you in mind. You know, just like God told Eve, don't eat of this tree. He said it for a reason. And he, and God said, if the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And Satan's lie was that you will not die. God just was trying to withhold something good from you. And so when, you know, I hear a lot of people say like, you know, oh, you're, this religion is just trying to keep me from doing things I want to do. And it's like, God isn't trying to keep you from having fun or a good time. God is trying to sa save you and save your life and make your life better. And, you know, so just, I would just go, always go back to the words of Christ where, you know, in John 10, 10, where he says, you know, the, 
the thief, the you know, Satan comes, but to kill, steal, and destroy all these lies saying, oh, you can do whatever you want there. That's to kill you, you know, steal your joy, your peace, your health, and to just, you know, destroy you. But Jesus says, but I have come that they might have life and have life more abundant. God wants you to have an abundant life, abundant health, you know, abundant good things. So that's kind of my side of that. So anyways, I don't know. Jay, Wendy, anything else on that? Yeah, no, I think those are good points. And <clears throat> yeah, I mean, often people um, go to Exodus 2013, you know, thou shalt not murder, say that's um, emblematic of, you know, don't murder yourself either. Um, mm -hmm. But what's at the core of that commandment? You know, behind every commandment is love. And, mm -hmm. you know, God doesn't want to be deprived of a relationship with anybody or have a chance of getting a relationship with somebody. When you kill them, God has lost a relationship, an opportunity for one. And that person is, other people have now lost relationships too when that person passes away. And so same thing, when you don't take care of yourself, you are affecting directly your relationship with God. Mm. And and uh, God says actually in Deuteronomy 6, 5, I love this, you know, he, he says, you know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with your, your nefesh, your, your life, your essence, all that you are. In, and it says, you know, with all your strength. So if we're just eating things that are going to make us sick, how, how are we helping our relationship with God? Are we really demonstrating our love for him? Mm -hmm. And and we have to remember these Mosaic laws were at a time when God was dwelling with the people. You know, he wanted there to be no illness. He wanted everybody to, to be healthy and, and happy and he'd be with them. And then in the New Testament, we have a different experience. We now have God who dwells in us. And 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Mm -hmm. And Paul goes on, If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. Mm -hmm. For the temple is holy, which temple you are. You know, it, it was a serious thing to desecrate the temple in, in Old Testament and even New Testament times. And when we think about then that God is is sort of you know it, it's like he pitched a tent in our heart and he wants to hang out and dwell with us and if we're sort of desecrating that tent and making the camp dirty and ugly and and and, and, and making it unwelcoming to him is that a loving thing to do are, are we really showing that we care about him so God is so forgiving he's so gracious he's so wonderful and and I don't know about you but I know for me when I'm sick, when I have not a clear mind, I'm much more prone to sin, much more prone to not work on my relationship with God and connect with him. And, mm -hmm. and so just health is just absolutely critical. And we really all need to strive to do whatever we can to be as healthy as possible because our bodies are being taxed in every direction possible nowadays. The air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, the, the relationship, toxic relationships around us. I mean, the radio waves, all these things, right? Who knows Who knows what's going on? Our bodies are being tacked on a level that probably no generation has ever had to deal with before. And we need to give ourselves the best shot possible to have mm. a clear mind to really connect with God. Yeah. And a, a commandment too that popped in my mind was, you know, um, uh, as far as, you know, not eating the unclean meat is, you know, to not take the Lord's name in vain. And if we're calling ourselves God's people and we're doing things that are, you know, defiling ourselves, just, you know, if you see, um, and I know in some circles it might not be seen as, 
you know, devastating or, you know, you know, detrimental, but um, still like, if you know, like that, you know, you are God's holy person and you're just kind of saying, well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take on God's name of Christian, but then I'm just going to do whatever I want. Mm. Like that doesn't really, you know, honor God's name in a sense. And, you know, especially if you, you know, are causing yourself health problems and you know what you're eating is going to cause health problems in yourself. Like that does not honor God's name when you're, you know, going to the doctor and the doctor is like saying, Hey, your cholesterol is sky high. You're at risk of diabetes and heart disease and all these things that does not honor God. You know, that doesn't glorify his name. And so we want to do things, you know, again, that give God honor and glory and, um, and what better way than through our bodies though, you know, which is our reasonable service. Like it says in Romans 12, one, um, you present your bodies to the Lord, which is your reasonable service. So yeah, just another thought on that too. Yep. Amen. Amen. All right. So another question here from Robert. All right. So last important question. I was taught by other Christians that our job isn't to convince unbelievers, but to tell them the truth. And if they disagree, you're not responsible. Is this true? And what I mean by telling the truth, I mean planting the seed. Maybe I could take a whack at this one. And Robert, I, I'm so glad you added that last provision at the end that, you know, by what, what I mean, you know, I'm talking about telling the truth. Uh, well, sorry, what do you mean by telling the truth? You mean by planting the seed. And that, that does make a bit of a difference here. So if I were to kind of categorize Christians that say tears and you have like a level one Christian, level two, level three, uh, a level one Christian is, I got this truth. This is amazing. It's the most important thing. And everybody must believe it. And they will just like try to ram it down people's throats and, and just, I told you the truth, but it's up to you to reject it. And, and, and it's, it's a bit abrasive and sometimes uh, repul repels people. And I mean, and often they mean, well, I, I remember when I was in that phase and I'm just like overwhelming, overwhelmed with this truth and I got to tell the world about it. Um, but then a level two Christian realize, realizes that their job isn't to convince people, though, and 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 try to change people and, and you know, not get into these arguments and all this. And, and really, the job is to plant seeds. So uh, that is a much better approach than just, oh, I've got to convince people. It's my job. I got to win and and and, you know, win for Christ. And it's on me to convince them. No, it, it, it's. The second step, the pl seed planting, is recognizing more the role that God plays, that that the Holy Spirit has to work on the heart of someone, help soften the ground to be more receptive of the gospel. And we have no idea how what we say today can simmer in somebody's heart and over time bear fruit. So that, that part's true. But there's an even higher tier, tier three, which is where someone realizes that their job is to make the truth as appealing as possible. So it's not just planting seeds, but how can I even be almost like magnetic and help dra draw people to the truth and draw them to Christ? And they're just like, they want it, they crave it. And that requires living the truth in, in your life and, and, and doing it with joy and uh, being able to demonstrate the benefits of it. You know, like for us, you know, we're not being food Nazis, but we're showing like there's life is just so much better. You walk with God is so much better when you take care of your body. Mm -hmm. 
So, uh, so yeah, I, I would say these people are, are definitely better than the level one Christians. Most people are, or there's probably a lot of people who are at the level two camp who are more experienced. Um, but I definitely hope to see more Christians level up to, to level three, where we're really making the truth as appealing as possible. And, and I would add that there may even be a, a level beyond that, which is where you can truly, like Jesus could truly see the needs mm, of another person. Very true. And it provide the truth to them in a way that they could receive it at the time that they need to receive that, it. That's definitely level four. That takes a whole nother level of... It takes spiritual eyesight. Yeah, of spiritual insight and and personal growth because... You know, Jesus said, it, like, take the plank out of our own eye before we try to take the speck out of our brother's eye until we are at a point of um, being healthy and whole and grown in something ourselves. It's very hard to truly and accurately see the need that another person has and and then be able and a lot of time and then even once you can see it. The next layer is being able to then deliver the truth in a way that, and a timing of them being able to receive it. And who was really good at that? And I think you may mention it. I mean, Jesus was very good yeah. at that. He was, he's the ultimate example of that. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, it's a, it is definitely a process of, of growth and spiritual maturity. And uh, it is an internal work as well as an external work and requires dependence on on the holy spirit to give yes. us the insights to yes um properly know what to say yep yeah prayerful connection a lot of strong connection to the holy spirit through that process yeah i agree it, you know definitely as far as that wisdom goes i think that's really you know um you have to be prayerful because everybody is so different in how you they need to be approached and how they need to be spoken to and you know what angle and the only way you're going to know how to do that is you know through the holy spirit and being connected to god um and being willing like in your mind your heart needs to be in a place where um you know if you're going to speak the truth to somebody like that you need to be in a place where you're doing this because you're trying to save their life you're in a way putting yourself um, you know, a second to put them first in a way. Like so I once heard it said that you need to be willing to give your life for a brother before you rebuke them. And so just having that sense of just like ultimate utter love for this person. Um, and so that they can see that exuding out of you, like you're saying this in a way, not because you're trying to, you know, you know, hit them over the head with the Bible, but rather you're just saying it out of love and care. And it's really hard to, you know, be mad at somebody and argue with somebody who you know is just like, hey, I'm here because I'm saying this because I love you and I care about you mm -hmm. and I have your best interest in mind. And, you know, and again, it comes back to building that relationship often first, um, you know, first seeking out their good and building a rapport with them of just like, you know, like, hey, um, you know, how can I help you? Because I care about you and I love you. And then, in you know, as God moves you through the Holy Spirit, you know, bringing up like, hey, you know, I noticed this, this concerns me about you and, um, you know, pointing them to Christ in that, um, in a way that is, again, for their good, not just that you're winning the argument in some way. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, we do have a responsibility to tell people the truth. Um, I'm sure you've probably heard or maybe read in, you know, the book of Ezekiel chapter three, you know, 18 through 20 talking about, you know, if I tell, if God says, if I tell you to warn somebody because they're doing something wrong and you don't, you know, you're responsible for that. And we do have to take responsibility as Christians, you know, of, you know, speaking the truth, but again, in love and um, doing it in a way that's appropriate. So anyways, so I just pray, yeah, God give you wisdom. Um, and uh, just a short way I would kind of summarize this is, you know, we are, it's true we're not responsible to convince others or we, and we are not responsible for their belief or lack of belief. Mm-hmm. We are responsible for our own expression of the truth to them. Sure. Yeah. We are responsible only for the actions and behaviors of ourselves, not that of others. Yeah. And Robert, I like your last little comment there. <laughs> I'm trying to get argued. I agree, brother. Right. Live peaceably with all men if it's possible. Yep. So absolutely. That is biblical. Um, so we are out of time. We are over time. Sorry, guys. I didn't realize how much time has passed. But we are so grateful to all of you who have submitted questions tonight. We're very grateful for your time tonight. And um, again, we have more questions that uh, we didn't get to. So we hope to, um, if you submitted a question, we hope to get to it next week. And if you'd like to have a question of yours featured on our weekly show, please be sure to go to our website, bibleask.org forward slash live. And that's where you can submit your questions to be featured for our weekly show. Again, it's Friday night at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And so we just hope that you've been blessed and we pray that God will guide you and lead you as you continue to study in his word. Um, so we'll go ahead and close tonight with a word of prayer. So if it's okay, can I pray? Just, I want to lift up to um, our, our, our question askers out there. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this time. We could spend in your word talking about um, important topics and answering questions, God, because Lord, you're not the author of confusion. And God, we thank you that you can give us answers and you can give us truth from your word and that we can trust it wholeheartedly and, and have faith in what you say that is true and um, that we can have peace. And Lord, in a special way, I lift up to you all those who've asked questions tonight, that you will bless them. I pray a special blessing over Lou, who's having this issue with his mother, God. And I pray for your divine intervention to guide him to do and to say what is in accordance to your will, Lord, that he will speak the truth in love. And I pray for all those out there who are hurting and suffering, God, or just having issues in their relationships and interactions and um, that sort of thing with others, Lord, and uh, with their family, with their friends, and with those around them, God. Give them wisdom, guide them, fill them with your Holy Spirit that they might be able to to live out your life and speak the truth, Lord, and um, express to others your goodness and your love, God, that we might see a revival in this earth and we might see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, um, that many will be drawn to you, Jesus, and Jesus will be lifted up and that we will all come to know you very soon and be in your kingdom, Lord. We love you. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, everybody, we thank you for joining us. We pray we see you again next week at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And yes, if you again, if you have a question, go to be sure to go to our website, bibleask.org forward slash live. We'll see you again next week. Good night. Bye. 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 Bye.